May the words I speak and the words we hear be your words of life to us, our God. Amen. So here we are, Harvest Festival in the middle of winter. When, well, there's not much harvest around. I told a friend that we were having a harvest festival and she looked a little stunned and blank, but there's no harvest. I went, well, that's true. And the weather, it's not very encouraging to go anywhere near the garden, especially over the last week. And while many of us don't have gardens anyway, uh, so we don't have any harvest to bring, and we rely on what supermarkets have and shops. So why have one? Well, that's a good question. In part, well, as I said last year, there are a number of good reasons, and one of those is tradition. That, um, well, when I suggested at best we not have one, I was hounded down. The truth is, a lot of us grew up with harvest festivals when we were growing up, and they were an important life event in the life of our communities. And to have a harvest festival allows us to reconnect with those events and with those memories and those feelings, and that's a good thing. And so we keep some of these traditions alive because we found them life-giving when we grew up, and they're still life-giving. A harvest festival also provides us an opportunity to give thanks for those of us who garden, and I'm a very, very, very part-time gardener when the weather's good in summer. It allows us to give thanks for the joy of gardening and for the frustration of gardening. It allows us to harvest, to give thanks for the harvest that our labours have reaped and the simple joy of growing things in our own land and being able to eat what we've grown, even when sometimes it would be cheaper just to go to the supermarket and buy it by the time you've paid for everything that goes into the garden and the water and everything else. But there's not the satisfaction with that, is there? So... Today we give thanks for all of that. And in doing that we also acknowledge that all of this is God's gift of life to us. All that is belongs to God. And God shares it with us. It allows us to remember that all we have is a gift. It's not ours by right. It's not just the fruit of our labour. It's not just what we have earned but it's the gift of a generous and compassionate God. So on this Harvest Festival, we give thanks to God, who is the giver of all that we celebrate this harvest. And part of this thankfulness is to give thanks that we live here in Aotearoa, and particularly in the Bay of Plenty. We live in a land of plenty where most people have more than enough to survive, and most people more than survive. Most of us have enough to live reasonably well. We have easy access to food, we have easy access to water, water that won't kill us, we have easy access to medical care, to a roof over our heads, to enough resources to allow us to live and most of us to thrive. And these are all things that we too often take for granted. But, and it is a big but, in this land of plenty, I think harvest festivals also invite us to be aware of those who do not celebrate the harvest. To be aware of the increasing number of people who work full-time and still do not have access 
to many of the things that many of us take for granted, like accommodation. For too many people in our country, they cannot afford both food and accommodation, even when they work full time. For far too many, even when they can afford it, they still can't find it because, well, there's an accommodation shortage. Well, there's a short of, sort of accommodation shortage. The reality is it's profitable to invest in the property market and if you can afford it, it's easier if you don't put tenants in your property investment, investment property. So you just leave it vacant and after your property has accrued enough money, which you will in this market, you sell it. And you don't have the hassle of having tenants. We have a house right behind us. Tenants moved out about two months ago. It's still empty. It's not like you won't be able to find tenants for that place. It's a decision to keep it empty. And because of that, if you're the wrong colour and uh, look not quite right and sound not quite right and there are a hundred other people applying for that place, the chances of you getting that place are pretty low. And so we have a lot of people who can afford accommodation but they can't get it because no one will give it to them. And so we have people living in cars. And despite what government ministers say, that it's just in Auckland and it's not a crisis, it's actually happening here, around us. Or, and this doesn't seem to be an issue, but I think it's an issue, we have far too many people crammed into houses and garages designed to hold a fraction of the number of people that are living in those places. Housing New Zealand apparently doesn't think that's a problem. That if you're in that situation, you're not urgent. So today, as we give thanks for God's goodness and generosity, we are invited to be mindful of all of these and to look for God's generous and compassionate work among them and to find ways of joining that work. And today we do that in a very small way by giving this food that we've got here and any more that people will bring this morning to the food bank. And as we continue to talk to those who are offering bigger band-aids to find out how we can join that work, while looking and praying for some solutions. Because the reality is that all the things that have been in the newspapers that Tuanga Whanau and Maribel Community Centre are offering are band-aids. They are not addressing the issues. No one seems to be addressing the issues at the moment. Our Harvest Festival also comes during Matariki, the Māori New Year. And there are a number of traditional aspects to Matariki that were very important to Māori, and still are. And one of those was that the appearance of that vast cluster of stars in the dawn sky was a sign that it was time to prepare the land for the kumara planting. You prepare the land so that there might be a harvest. A good harvest doesn't just happen, it relies on good soil and well-tended land. And this land we live in, this planet we live on, Earth, well it's central to the idea of harvest. Matariki and a harvest festival give us an opportunity to remember that this land, this planet, are God's greatest gifts to us. And they're absolutely central to our ongoing ability to live here. 
And we need to care for this land and we need to care for all who live on it. Not just at Matariki, but all year round. And on that score, well, we're not doing very well. Over recent years, organisations like SAFE have brought to our attention the result of the push for more efficient and cheaper harvesting of food from animals. We've learned about sow crates and hen crates and the use of antibiotics in our chickens at a time when antibiotics are becoming less and less effective. I still don't quite understand that, but it's still allowed to happen. We've heard about the treatment of some bobby calves, and these are just a few of the issues, and they're all done in the name of affordable food that we find on supermarket shelves that come as cheap as possible. But they come, ah oh no, we just leave it on the water one. They come at a, at a price. They come at a price for our fellow creatures. And these are at times treated appallingly badly. And it is in our hands to stop it. If we demand that they stop it and don't buy products that come from those kind of treatments, those farming practices... And there's also issues around the way that some farm labourers are treated, both in this country and overseas. Overseas, the drive for greater profit is driving small landholders off their land. Large corporations are pulling together all those little farms that once sustained many families. And those practices not only are bad for those families, but when they do palm uh, palm trees planted on that land is not great for the environment either. And too many of those people go from having their own land and growing food which they can sell to becoming low-wage workers. Or, and too often this happens as well, they're forced to accept the low price, prices for their produce when we here pay much more for it. And so groups like Fair Trade and Trade Aid are helping, are working to help us not only raise those issues, but to provide a way for us to buy more ethically. And la in the last few weeks, Murray uh, Gilpin and Lance Lucan alerted us to uh, how those who bring those harvests from overseas, the, the seafarers are often poorly treated and poorly paid as well railroaded into being seafarers when they didn't really want to be, not paid, paid poorly, treated poorly, and when the ships don't pass muster, just deserted on those foreign shores, as we've had here in Tauranga, when ships have not passed inspection and they've just been stuck here, relying on people like the Mission to Seafarers to actually provide food and allow them to get off the ships. And globally, this planet that we rely on for a harvest and for the food we eat is not doing so well either. Farming and industrial practices here in New Zealand and around the world, the ways that we create the harvest, have poisoned the water in places. The water that we need to survive. In this country, the government is satisfied with waitable for many of our waterways. And are happy to continue farming practices that continue to deliberately pollute our waterways. And they do so hoping that this will not compromise our water supply. 
but in too many other countries, water supply is the single biggest issue facing their people. Having enough clean, drinkable water. Having enough water that they can water the crops and their animals. And that's because too much of their water supply is polluted, or the water supply has been compromised by climate change. In 2014, the Christian World Service Christmas campaign was about the water crisis, two years ago. And they highlighted how this issue affects many Christians around the world and many Anglicans around the world, our brothers and sisters in Christ. And I wonder what they think of our practices here in this country and are giving away our water to sell back to ourselves in little plastic bottles and overseas. And having been in countries where you can't drink the water supply because it'll make you very sick, which it did, I think we take our water far... We just take it for granted. We really don't look after it well enough. And in this country, some of our farming practices are also one of the, our significant contributors to global warming. Again, something we don't take awfully seriously. But for our brothers and sisters in the Pacific, they are already suffering the dire ramifications of it. And that led a general synod this year to the youth from the Diocese of Polynesia, which has been badly affected both by rising water levels and the increasing ferocity and regularity of storms. You can bring the next one up. Yep, there we go. Uh, to move a motion uh, that asked the Missions Board to create programs to help us be better prepared for ongoing disasters. And there was no if in there, it was an assumption that these ongoing disasters will happen. And it was both a how to help people in the Pacific be ready for those disasters and how to help us know how to respond appropriately. So, this is an aside, but he talked about containers of clothing and shoes and food arriving on the docks, which actually was inappropriate clothing and the food too often was uh, past its expiry date and it actually took a whole lot of resources of people to sort through what was useful and what wasn't useful. Resources and time that should have been spent actually dealing with the emergency. And so we in this country need to know, I mean it was all done with the best of intentions, but too often what we do with the best of intentions actually isn't that helpful. So we ourselves need to know how to respond in a way that is more helpful for those suffering in those situations. In 2014, at the General Synod, the Diocese of Polynesia came and asked General Synod for all church trust funds to divest themselves of fossil fuel investments, which was a big ask because they're really profitable and they help pay for what the church does. <coughs> and not only that, but to work actively with other organisations who invest in the fossil fuel industry to divest as well, which they agreed to and they've done, and that has been happening across the world, and church organisations have played a significant role in that. 
and there's been something like a $50 trillion divestment out of the fossil fuel industry over the last three or four years, which is phenomenal. And it's such a vast amount of money. We could pay off our country debt with a drop of that. And this year they came, well they didn't come back, but uh, some of the people involved in managing those trust funds came back and asked permission to actively seek good investments that will address the issues that global warming is creating. Now those investments won't have the same um, return as some of the other investments, but they felt that if we are really going to take these issues seriously, we need to do that as a church and that they needed permission from General Synod before they did it. General Synod said, yes, do that. Certainly the Diocese of Polynesia was very clear in its support of that position. Now all of these are issues because this is God's earth, and they affect God's people, God's creatures. They are affecting our brothers and sisters in the Pacific and around the world, and they are beginning to affect us. This morning our readings offer us some um, insights into how we might respond to this, I think. If you screw up your face a little bit. So, our reading from Luke this morning was, um, yep, the next one. Uh, it's a really important reading in the Gospel of Luke, and you, as you read it you probably think, oh, it's just another story, but actually it's a really pivotal turning point in how Luke is telling his story. So, up to this point, Luke has had Jesus declare who he is and what he's about by reading the scroll from Isaiah and Nazareth, and then a whole lot of stories about how he did what the scroll said he was going to do. Well, not he was going to do, but that's, he's claimed that for himself. And then that led to, well, and some of those stories we would just read as healing stories, but as I said a couple of weeks ago, if we really look at those stories, they're actually, much, well, they are healing stories, but they are also Jesus bringing good news to the poor. They are significant stories from that point of view. And then John the Baptist wanted clarification about who Jesus was, because, well, if he is the one, he's not behaving like he should be, and Jesus kind of reiterates what he read in the scroll. And then we have a few more stories, including the calming of the storm, which we didn't hear, but we heard the next story, which was the casting out of legion from the man in Gerasene, which showed Jesus' authority over the powers of evil. And then we had the mission of the Twelve and the Transfiguration, the feeding of the 5,000, which all comes together with some predictions of Jesus' death. And then... Jesus comes to the point where he turns his head to Jerusalem. So all of that is the background for what happens next. And at this point, everything turns to Jerusalem. To the crucifixion, to the resurrection, and the ascension. It is a very important turning point in Luke's Gospel. It's not like, a, oh, and then he started going to Jerusalem. It's like... We've come to the end of one chapter and we have started a whole new part of the story. The end game has begun. And if we read this week's reading and the readings that follow and if we compare that with Paul, I think there's a real sense of urgency about these readings. For Paul, 
his urgency that the church was that the church in Galatia did not fall into the ways that they had done things in the past, that they did not fit with the rest of society, that they continued to stand out in their defiance of the economic and social systems, that they were to stand instead and to walk instead in the way of Christ. And he then talks about what that looks like, the fruit of the Spirit, which we often tuck a little S on the end, the fruits of the Spirit, and think we can tick them off one by one. And I remember a friend at Varsity saying, I've mastered two and I've got the others on the way. And I was thinking, I don't think that's how it works, Rob, but never mind. You go with that. But that list that we heard this morning is a kind of collection of words that describes what we should be like. It is one fruit. When the Spirit is present in our lives, that's what should be happening. And Luke has Jesus telling people that there is no time to go home and say goodbye, which is in stark contrast to the calling of Elisha by Elijah. They should have made those names way more different. should have been Bill and Bruce or John or something. But Elisha and Elijah. And when that happened, Elijah went to Elisha and put his mantle on him. And Elisha said, can I go home and kind of end my life as it's been well? And Elijah said, sure. And he went back and said goodbye to his family and sacrificed and did all those kind of things. But Jesus says, no, no time. We're off to Jerusalem. You can't be following me and looking back. You can't be following me and saying goodbye to what was in the past. We're moving forward. It's time. It's now. Luke and Paul included that sense of urgency because they wanted that sense of urgency to continue. And our brothers and sisters around the world are imploring us to again be urgent, urgent in our appreciation of this world and urgent in our actions that will make a difference to their very, very difficult lives now. So today we celebrate our harvest because harvest festivals are good and they're important traditions. Because they offer us an opportunity to give thanks for the harvest and to be reminded of God's generosity in the harvest. To be reminded of God's provision of this land and this planet. And they provide us an opportunity to hear again our responsibility to care for this planet and this land. And more than that, to be reminded to care for all who live in this land and in this world with the same compassion and generosity that we experience in the harvest, that we meet in Jesus. We are reminded that there is an urgent need to be not satisfied with things as they are and to join in working, join in the work of finding new ways of living that honour this world and all who live in it. So today we give thanks for the harvest.